0: 18- What's That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overflowed by law. 80 plus and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. It's a London buses of podcast. You wear ages for one and then two come along at once. Um, this one is called Snooker's Day of Shame. Um, is, which is actually a bit of a joke line that is thrown around in the media centre. If something minor happens, for example, we can't, the, the fridge is padlocked at the crucible, you can't get in to get a Diet Coke, someone will call it Snooker's Day of Shame as a joke. But of course, what happened here in the UK on Tuesday was not a joke, it was Snooker's Day of Shame because the 10 Chinese players who had been charged with match fixing, the verdicts were handed down, they were all found guilty of various charges, and in the case of Liang Wenbo and Li Hang, they were both Banned for life. And to be banned for life from a sport, you have to have done serious wrong. And it's important to say, I'm going to talk about this issue at some length because I've read the 58 page report. It's available to read on the WPBC website. That's the whole report from the independent tribunal. It's important to say right at the start that what these players did was wrong. Now, a lot of people would just leave it there and say, yeah, it was, get rid of them and let's move on and have a clean sport. Fine. And that's absolutely fine. But this is a snooker podcast. I think there's there's nuance in this. I think that each uh the case of each player is actually slightly different, and I'm going to discuss the issues around it, what's happened, and also what some of the lessons are that we can learn from what has been a pretty disgraceful affair and really the the most disgraceful aspect of it is the behavior of Liang Wenbo in particular and also Li hang because the okay, they're all Chinese players, but those two were senior players, they were older. They're actually in positions where they were earning quite a lot of money. I mean, Liang Wenbo won a tournament. You know, these were not people struggling for prize money. They were actually doing really well. And the evidence, as presented and as assessed by this report, is that they coerced the younger players into fixing matches. Now, people will have their own views about what those younger players should have done, what their options should have been, could have been, and how they could have behaved differently. And again, that's perfectly fine. But what's clear is. There were two ringleaders in this whole business, and they were Liang Wenbo and Li Hang. So let's just go through what what exactly the findings were. There were various costs um, that the players had to um, are going to have to pay as well. But of course, the main thing is the bans. So let's start with Liang Wenbo. So uh, just for, important to say, first of all, this report, this inquiry. Was independent of Wilson Ughetto and the WPBSA. The WPBSA were represented in council to give evidence, but the report was uh, tribunal was heard by Ian Mill QC. He was the chair, also Gordon Mackay and Grace Cheng, by four sports resolutions. They're an independent body, and it's important to say that because inevitably, already online people are are putting forward their daft conspiracy theories about. Why the findings were what they were. This was independent of the WP, so that's a fact. And I have full confidence in Ian Mill QC. There's no reason for him to not act independently. So this hearing was in April, and then the the sanctions were decided in May. So let's go through each uh, player in turn and just uh, remind ourselves of what they were charged with and what the, importantly, what the findings were of the, uh, of the tribunal and it's it's worth saying as well that they did look at previous, um, previous cases in snooker and in other sports as well for precedent and there was a precedent in tennis where someone was banned for life for similar activities and that's why the lifetime ban which we've never seen before in snooker has been put forward for two players. Liang Wenbo, okay so the report has made the following findings against Liang Wenbo he fixed or contrived or was a party to an effort to fix or contrive the result or score of a snooker match on five occasions. He solicited, induced, enticed, persuaded, encouraged or facilitated other snooker players, including some of the respondent players, to fix or contrive the result or score of a snooker match on nine occasions. Between the 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on the result, score, progress, conduct or any other aspect of, of the tour or a match event sanctioned by the WPSA on multiple occasions. He used threatening behaviour towards Chang bing with the views persuading him not to assist the WPUSA inquiry and to delete messages relevant to that inquiry from his mobile phone. Once he'd become aware of the WPUSA inquiry, he deleted messages from his mobile phone and requested that Bai Langning ning and Chang do the same. He failed to attend appointments for interview with the WPUSA and provide requested information. The report finds this. We regard the conduct of Liang as particularly disgraceful. The pressure placed by him, a senior professional, on a large number of Chinese players, many of them young and impressionable, the threatening behaviour he displayed towards Chang, and his failure to cooperate with the WPBC inquiry, clearly warrant and justify sanctions being imposed of the highest order. And what they've done is they've banned him from professional snooker for life. The findings against Lee Hang. He fixed or contrived or was a party to an effort to fix or contrive the result or score of a snooker match on seven occasions. He solicited, induced, enticed, persuaded, encouraged or facilitated other snooker players to fix or contrive the result or score of a snooker match on seven occasions. Between the 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on the result, score, progress, conduct or any other aspect of the tour or a match and event sanctioned by the WPSA on multiple occasions. Once he'd become aware of the WPUSA inquiry, he deleted messages relevant to that inquiry from his mobile phone and requested that Yan Bingtao and Bai Ning do the same. Like in the case of Liang, we regard the conduct of Li as utterly unacceptable. He used his influence as an older and established player to befriend younger, impressionable Chinese players who were far from home and thereby encouraged and enticed them into match-fixing for his own financial ends. It's important to say that um, these findings against Liang and uh, Li Hang, they come from matches that they weren't playing in. They were going to some of the younger Chinese players and, well, the word you can use, there's lots of words. Threatening is one. Suggesting would be a softer word. Enticing maybe is the correct word. Enticing them into manipulating these matches so that they would either lose the match or they would only win certain uh, they would lose a certain num- win a certain number of frames in the match. Um, so th- what the report is essentially saying is that these two have dragged all the others into it. Uh, Lu Ning, the findings against him, he fixed or contrived or was a party t- to an effort to fix or contrive the results or score of a snooker match on four occasions. Between the 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on the results, score, progress, conduct or any other aspect of the tour or a match in events sanctioned by the WPUSA on multiple occasions. Once he became aware of the WPUSA inquiry, he deleted messages relevant to that inquiry from his mobile phone. Yan Bing Tao. The findings against him. He fixed or contrived, or was a party, to an effort to fix or contrive the result or score of a snooker match on four occasions. Between those dates, 2019 and 2022, he bet on the result score, progress, conduct or any other aspect of a tour or match and event sanctioned by the WPSA on multiple occasions. The first of these, it should be said, was when he was 16. When he was 16, there was a match uh, that was fixed that he played against Dominic Dale. Xiaoxing Tong, the findings against him, he was not um, charged with any fixing any of his own matches, but he was a party t- to an effort to fix or contrive the result of a score on a snooker match of two occasions. So these are matches that Yan Bing Tao, in fact, played in. And between those dates, 2019 and 2022, he bet on the result, score, progress, conduct, or any other aspect of the tour, of the tour or a match in event sanctioned by the WPUCE on multiple occasions. Xiao Jianbo, same uh, charges against him. He, he fixed or contrived or was party to fix or contrive a snooker match on one occasion, and he bet on matches between those dates on multiple occasions. Chang Bingyu on one occasion was found to have been party to fixing or contriving a score and uh, that was the, uh, I think the only charge actually against him Bai Lang Ning also one occasion where he was party to a match being fixed Uh, Chen Zifan three occasions where he was party to the same thing and uh, Zhang Jiankang one occasion and also he was found to have better matches in that three year period and also he failed to provide the WPBSA with the information that they requested. So they were the, the charges that were the proven against these players. And in terms of the sanctions, Liang Wenbo has been given a lifetime ban and ordered to pay forty three thousand in costs. Li Hang the same lifetime ban forty three thousand in costs. Lu Ning has been given an eight year suspension reduced following early admissions. He was actually singled out in the report, Ludening, as being a credible witness. They were impressed with his evidence. He pleaded guilty. Uh, so it's been reduced to five years and four months. So the 6th of April 2028 is when he can come back. And that's quite significant actually I suppose, because if he that would allow him into Q school for the following season, although it's a long way off yet. Seven and a half thousand in costs. Yan Bing Tao seven years and six months. That was reduced because of early admissions and a guilty plea to five years. So 11th of December, 2027. But realistically, he would have to come back the following season. It's worth saying he would only be 28 then. So there would be maybe a route back for him. He's uh, ordered to pay 7,500 costs. Xing Tong, two years, six months. That's been reduced after early admissions and a plea, a guilty plea to one year and eight months. So, the first of september twenty twenty four could come back, but of course that's halfway well not halfway but the that, that that's effectively just over a year. the season would be underway then, so it's hard to see how he could play in that season um he's to pay seven and a half thousand in costs Jean Bo, three years and six months that was reduced again because of early admissions and a guilty plea to two years and four months so the seventh of april twenty twenty five would be the earliest he could come back seven and a half thousand in costs as well he has to pay. Chang Bing Yu was given a three-year suspension. That was reduced to two years until the 7th of December 2024. Seven and a half thousand in costs. Again, Bai Lang Ning was a four-year suspension. That was reduced to two years, eight months. So the 6th of August 2025. But again, by then the season I think would have begun. So realistically it would be three years from now before he could play. He's to pay seven and a half thousand in costs. Chen Zifan, seven years and six months reduced to five years so the 20th of December 2027, he has to pay 7,500 in costs. And Zhang Jienkang, uh four years and five months suspension reduced again because of early admissions and a guilty plea to two years and 11 months. So the 1st of December 2025 will be the earliest he could play. He's to pay seven and a half thousands in costs. All very grim reading, it's got to be said. But as I say, there are wider points I think worth making here. And uh, th- the report makes some of them themselves and they before they sort of get on to the main charges they look at the background here because one of my sort of takeaways from this is there needs to be greater protection for players coming onto what we call the world snooker tour but really is a british tour it's based almost entirely in britain foreign players have to come to britain and in the case of the chinese players of course they young guys almost exclusively from an alien culture don't speak the language of the country they're coming into. So who are they going to gravitate towards? They're going to gravitate towards fellow Chinese players, in this case, snooker players. And they're going to end up doing what they do. So if the senior players go down the casino overnight, that's what they're going to do. And suddenly they're involved in that gambling culture where they're going to be losing money. And they're just involved in a culture that ultimately is not going to be good for them. But anyway, the report says, and I want to read this out because I think it's quite significant two uh, sections of it. It says, due in large part to their shared background and culture, and the isolation that many of them felt living in the UK due to issues of language, foreign norms and customs, and for part of the time the impact of COVID nineteen, many of the respondents spent a lot of time together, including time spent eating, going out for meals and playing cards. Similarly, when they travelled abroad to play at snooker tournaments, many of them lived together and spent time together. Since he was based in Darlington, Zhang Zian kang was more physically distanced from the other Chinese players, However, when he visited Sheffield, he would sometimes awkwardly hang and go to the casino with him. During the COVID nineteen pandemic, the respondents were not able to return to their native China. Many of them felt lonely, bored, and even more isolated in the UK during this time. Many of them also suffered on a continuing basis from financial difficulties, exacerbated by the pressures of living costs in the UK, the expenses of travelling to compete in snooker tournaments abroad, and ill-judged gambling and betting habits. This set of circumstances made the youngsters among the respondents particularly susceptible to influence and manipulation from the older Chinese snooker players who took them under their wing. They were accorded respect by the youngsters who looked to them for advice and guidance. This is what I'm saying. The younger players, they've moved over to Britain. They don't speak the language. They look up to these older players, and these older players have taken advantage of them. And that's not to make an excuse for what the other players have done. They were wrong. But this is how it started. If you look at someone like Neil Robertson, okay, he's from a foreign country, he's had to move here, but he speaks English. It's the same language in Australia. And also he, because there wasn't an Australian Snoopy community, he found a home in Cambridge with Joe Perry, who's a a great guy and a solid professional, and therefore there was no trouble with him. But in this case, it's a very specific case, these players have kind of banded together. Now, there are other Chinese players as well, who are part of this world, who have not got involved in, in these things. So there were options not to do it, but this is where it started and the report kind of makes that point. Uh, it also points out Liang is the oldest of all the respondents and Li Hang is almost 10 years older than some of the other players involved in this. He says he was seen by them as an elder brother whom they respected and looked up to for advice and guidance especially when first arriving in the UK Lee was a good poker player and had a betting account which he used to help the younger players to place bets including on snooker games it was widely known by the Chinese snooker players that they could go to Lee if they wished to place a bet on a snooker match or to get involved in match fixing the report does give some uh, praise to the players for at least their honesty in the hearings it says most but not all which is quite a telling phrase isn't it most, but not all, of those who gave evidence were patently doing their best to assist by providing their genuine recollections of material events. Now, quite a few players, as we heard from the summary of the punishments, pleaded guilty and admitted it. The Ang did not engage with the process at all. Um, he didn't give any evidence. He didn't get involved. Um, he sort of announced his retirement from snooker, um, presumably sort of seeing what was coming, I guess, down the line. So the report summarizes all the matches that were involved and the charges. Some of them were not proven, um, just because of evidence that was lacking or evidence that wasn't believed. but most of these charges were proved. and uh, it's worth talking about what they made of I say Liang Wenbo didn't give evidence. Li hang did give evidence, and he's described here the, the evidence is described as in unsatisfactory says, in marked contrast to the other participating respondents, Lee did not give direct answers to questions and was evasive in his responses. So they weren't impressed by uh, by what the evidence that he gave. Uh, in the case of, as I say, Yan Bing Tao's first defence back in 2016 when he was just 16, which I find really depressing. I can't believe a 16-year-old arrived in Britain, although actually the match was in Germany, But and, then, and just decided he was going to fix the match. He clearly had been enticed into it by others. And uh, it's worth remembering, you know, if you were 16 and you went to a completely alien country, um, how you would be. I mean, I do feel about this, if you look at it the other way, a bunch of British guys in their early 20s went to live in China and there was no real um, authority figure there kind of looking out for them. I, I I, I get the feeling they would have found trouble. It's a bit like when... Young guys and indeed women, you know, get involved in rock bands—they end up in that decadent lifestyle because that's kind of how it how it works when there's no one looking out for you. And it must be said, of course, China—you know—it is a different culture to Britain. Britain, in in general, there's more freedom. Um, and if you've grown up in a in a culture with less freedom, and suddenly you find it, and suddenly you find you can, your parents aren't there, for example, you ca- can go out to casinos and kind of do what you want. At that age, you're going to do it, I think. Um, now then in terms of Xiao uh, Tong, as I say he didn't fix any matches himself but he was party to two matches that Yan Bing Tao was involved in fixing um, the suggestion here there is a suggestion that uh, he tried to dissuade Yan Bing Tao but couldn't and so felt that he had to put the money on anyway now <laughs> that's a little bit like the dog ate my homework to me I, I don't, I'm not sure that's entirely credible it actually doesn't matter because he was still involved and don't think that because he got the most lenient sentence that he wasn't party to some of this stuff because he was he admitted it and that's to his credit I think so many people feel that those two are the ones who were so disappointed to see involved in this because they could have been superstars they were kind of on their way already Yan Bing Tab when the Masters, Zhao Tong, Sensationally had won the UK Championship um, before, of course, all, this, all of this was unearthed. They are young enough in time to come back, but they'll never be looked at in the same way, clearly. It's just impossible for them to be. Now, inevitably, people who haven't read this report have their own opinions and, in this day and age, have the ability to quite loudly um, broadcast them, but... The idea that there's been some sort of conspiracy and all that is nonsense. And this is why, because here in, here in the report it says, the WPBSA submitted we should impose a longer ban than for previous snooker cases on the basis that the extent of the wrongdoing evidence in the present case demonstrates that the sanctions in previous cases had proved to be an insufficient deterrent. In other words, WPBSA's argument was the Stephen Lee ban and a lot of the others didn't act as a deterrent for these guys, so they should actually have longer bans. And this was rejected by the inquiry. They said, we do not accept this submission. The present case involved a close-knit group of respondent players, including predominantly young professionals, who spoke the same language and shared a similar culture. The relevant events occurred largely during the COVID-19 pandemic when they were not able to travel back home to mainland China and felt isolated in the UK. We do not see, in the present case, any evidence of a wider culture of wrongdoing in snooker. So what they're saying is it's an isolated... Incident regarding these players. Of course, we mustn't be naive. There have been, there has been match fixing before. It's been largely by British players, although the most, the majority of players are British, so that's kind of going to be the case anyway. But it's been going go back decades in snooker. There have been incidents. Some of the players involved were punished at the time. Doubtless, some slipped through the net. There wasn't this uh, forensic approach to it going back. The integrity unit under Nigel Moore has been much more uh, proactive in firstly just chasing down the evidence. I mean, they went through the players' phones, they went through their bank accounts, all the evidence was there. Um, In previous times, that just didn't happen. In the case of uh, Xiaoxing Tong, again, people sort of suggesting, well, he's so important to Snooker, he's had a more lenient sentence. That is hogwash, frankly, if I can use that word. And it's here again in the report. It says, Xiaoxing Tong... Did not fix any match. His involvement was limited to placing bets for Yan through Li, whereby he became liable as a party to the two match fixes. He's good friends with Yan, who is known since the age of 16. He attempted to dissuade Yan from match fixing on both occasions with no success. He felt he had no other option but to place bets for Yan as Yan had requested. He's shown genuine remorse for his actions. The WPSA submitted that the involvement of Xiao Xing Tong was significant and serious, because without it, Yan would not have proceeded with the fixes. We do not consider that the WPBSA has established this on the facts and accordingly reject that submission. In other words, the WPBSA wanted tougher sanctions for Zhao tong It's actually the exact opposite of what's been suggested. They thought that he put pressure on Yan Tao. The inquiry did not find that, and therefore he didn't get a more lengthier ban. In the case of Zhao uh, Xiangbo, this, I think, is quite an important thing to read out here, and, it, and it's not just him. It applies to a lot of them. The report says, we note at the time that his match fixing took place, Xiao Zhanbo was aged 18 only. He was young and impressionable and under the influence of Liang Liang and Li. He was also suffering financial difficulties. He was lonely and has shown genuine remorse for his actions. He admitted his offences at the earliest possible opportunity. So what we have here is a pretty distasteful business. Let's be clear, every sport has its cheats and there's been scandals in sports like cycling and athletics. But the difference, of course, in those sports is people have been taking performance-enhancing drugs and cheating to try and win. This is pure manipulation. It's trying to make easy money by losing either matches or or trying to manipulate matches so that certain frame scores um, are evident. Some of the... I mean, there was a ridiculous story in The Guardian during the World Championship that it's all the fault of low prize money in snooker. That is complete poppycock. There's another word for you. Because the ringleaders here, the people who are actually making the most money, Liang Wenbo and Li Hang, were earning a good living from snooker, from snooker prize money. Some of the others may not have been, lower down, but the fact is... Those two were, and they were the ringleaders, and we've seen already C. Jarwee, who's not involved in this in any way, but he proved you can earn money honestly. He got to the semi-finals of the World Championship, very near the final. He earned £100,000 at the Crucible in Sheffield this year. So, you know, you can actually earn money honestly. But it seems here, hear that phrase groupthink, it's kind of similar to that. It became a culture. It became a culture within this little circle where this happened and... How it happened is is relevant, and that's why Liang, Wenbo and Li Hang, have been banned for life. But the fact that it happened at all is what's damning. And what we now need to move towards is trying to find an environment where it can't happen again. Uh, that won't be easy. Uh, because, it and it's not about Chinese players, it's about players in general. Temptation is always there, and, and one of the reasons for that is the extraordinary number betting markets now it used to be an effort to place a bet you'd have to go out the house to the betting shop (laughs) you know and hand over money to a a person now you can literally do it one-handed on your phone you can be having a conversation eating a meal and it's all there on your phone these online betting accounts that people have uh, with myriad markets Um, it's been an explosion in the opportunity to gamble and therefore the temptation to gamble. And that is an issue, there's no doubt about it. Snooker's always had a a sort of gambling subculture, going back to snooker clubs and money matches and side bets. And a lot of it is completely innocent. It is just, you know, oh, Harry's playing Fred, I'm going to stick five quid on Harry. You know, (laughs) without trying to influence the match, I'm just watching the match and I think Harry will beat Fred, so I'm sticking five quid on Harry, and uh, the odds are two to one, I'll, I'll get a tenner off it. Um but we're not in innocent times now we're in quite the opposite and again all sports have this same threat people who are describing themselves as professional gamblers um, and betting syndicates and all that stuff we've seen it in football we've seen it in cricket spot fixing all of that um, it was inevitable that snooker was going to be part of that somehow it's quite telling I think that pretty much every gambling advert now on television is telling you the dangers of gambling <laughs> it's it's warning you against betting too much or betting at the wrong time. Um, and, of course, snooker has taken a lot of money from the betting industry. And, by the way, their money is as good as anyone else's. They're proper companies. They're looking to invest. But, of course, part of the payoff for that is they get to advertise their wares and sort of establish themselves and establish the sport within that betting culture. Um, and that is part of the lineage of where we are here. I'm not anti-gambling, but let's be honest, it can be very pernicious. And we've seen here these players, maybe it starts in the casino, you have a few losses, suddenly you're trying to cover those losses, so you bet on someone else's snooker match, which, by the way, is against the rules. But then that doesn't work, so suddenly you're betting on your own snooker match. Uh, it's a kind of vicious cycle. It's worth adding, there were three other Chinese players named in as, as having given evidence. Um, Chao Yipeng, Yuan Jun, and Zhu Sir who said that they were approached uh, by the the ringleaders in this case. Pressure was put on them to throw matches and they wanted nothing to do with it. Um, A question was asked, why were not they charged with failure to approach? I think what we should say, I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but this whole thing came out somehow and there may well have been a whistleblower involved, maybe more than one, we don't know. Uh, whether one of these players potentially went to the authorities. I remember being at the Champion of Champions last November and there was a qualifying event going on, I think, for the UK Championship or something at the same time. And on that day, the phones of a lot of Chinese players were seized. Um, so some someone blew the whistle. This came out somehow. So whether that is one of the reasons, I don't know. Yuansi Jun, it says, doesn't come out exactly this great in terms of um, he wasn't seen as a, a great reliable witness, but he wasn't. There was no suggestion that he'd done anything wrong. He did delete messages from his phone, uh, but there was no suggestion that he'd been involved in any fixing. He'd been approached and had refused. Is uh, is what the report says. So it's a sad day for snooker. Uh, we'll survive it. Um, the shame of it is that we've lost some very talented players whether we'll see them again in the future I don't know but as I say if they come back their reputations are forever tarnished by this um, any sport is looking for new stars and we've found two in Zing Tong and Yan Town, two very different players Xing Tong a very effortless, effortlessly talented also it seemed attacking player and Yan town much more tactical and quite an interesting player I think in terms of the way he played the game at a young age they're gone for now and we'll see in time whether they come back. What uh, What is the systemic change that needs to happen to stop this happening again? I mean, obviously the main thing to say is that players shouldn't do it. <laughs> they shouldn't do it. Other players had a choice. One player who's, who's not implicated in any way is Joey ja Long. Joey ja Long, quite interestingly, moved to Darlington. He moved away from Sheffield. We don't know the, the reasons for that, but I think it's fair to infer that if he got any sense that there was trouble brewing and things were were being done that weren't right, he didn't want any part in it. So he left that group and went somewhere else. If that's the case, fair play to him. So players, okay, ultimately had a choice, but so many of these young players got sucked into it. It seems to me the Chinese Billards and Snooker Association now need to act quite decisively. And in future, what they need is an authority figure in the UK looking out for these people. And I don't mean someone of their age, I mean literally a figure of authority, I'm not talking about curfews or anything like that, they should have freedom to do what they want but actually look after them and be that authority figure so that this can't happen so that older players can't manipulate younger players um, Victoria she looks after quite a few of the players, she's got her academy but there were players also from Ding Jin academy implicated in this um, you can't watch people 24 hours a day and you can't know what messages they're sending each other on the phone But if there is someone present who is a figure of authority who you're concerned will, you know, be able to punish you for wrongdoing, there's less likely to be wrongdoing, I would say. So that's one thing that could potentially help in the future. Um, One would hope that this case sends a message that you will be caught. And this is the thing, okay. So many of these matches were just anonymous qualifiers, and they're gonna draw suspicion if large amounts of money suddenly go on a first round match in the European Masters qualifiers at Leicester, which basically is on table four at 10am, kinda no one even knows it's happening. If suddenly lots of money is going on a correct score, that is gonna raise suspicion. It's amazing how bad a job (laughs) so many of these people do of these fixes actually. You know, it's actually easier in some ways to fix a match much later in a tournament, say, a final, than it is an early round match. The difference, of course, being by the time you reach a final, you're guaranteed so much money, there's no point. Um, but hopefully this will serve as a deterrent to others because now that we've got lifetime bans, you know there's no way back for the Wen, Burnley, Hang, they're going to have to do something else. Now that we've got that, surely, surely, other players are going to look at this and think, we cannot do this, we will not get away with it. And for that reason, I think you have to credit the WPBSA for... The way they acted on this, it was pretty swift. This, As I say, it was November when they took these players' phones. Here we are now in June, and within, what, seven months, six months, seven months, it's all been concluded. So it was pretty swift and pretty decisive, and at least we've shown that snooker will act in cases like this. Um, We were quite lucky yesterday, actually. There's, There's a bigger story in golf, golf. Professional golf has essentially been bought by Saudi Arabia. Um, as The PGA and Live Tours have merged together, despite the PGA saying, "You know, they were going to sue them and all the rest of it." Um, but there's no getting away from the fact: it was a very bad day. It was a day of shame for the sport. It's a reckoning for the sport. It's up to everyone now, players and everyone else, to act properly. And. In order to facilitate that, I think there also needs to be greater scrutiny of the people that accompany players to tournaments. You know, there are some, let's be clear, quite dodgy characters hanging around on the snooker circuit at times. And it's not always clear why they're there, why they're sat in the players' room. It's not always clear what their relationship is to the players and whether that's a healthy relationship. And I do think that Will Snooker Tour and the WPBSA could look at some of the people who are around the game, what they're doing there and what effect they're having on quite often impressionable young players. Um, snooker players typically, you know, they play snooker. They've done it all their life. They're not typically that educated. They're not typically that worldly wise, actually. Um, and they are prone to being influenced. And that's what's happened in this case. In this case, it was by other players. But there are other people around it as well. I mean, there's talk of Liang Wenbo's friends. It's not quite clear who these people are. I, it seems to be relatively easy to get in the sort of inner circle, as it were. And then if you're in the inner circle, you know, you have an opportunity to potentially ingratiate yourself with players and influence them. So there are questions to be answered. There are lessons to be learned. Bottom line is, it's a very sad business. Um, snooker doesn't need this. The punishments are pretty severe, and rightly so. What, as I said at the start, what the players did was wrong. They're going to have to live with it. Um, but there are lessons I think we can learn. And the culture of players coming to the UK from other countries when they don't speak the language and they're not used to the culture, that has to be looked at because there's no doubt that, and it's laid out in the report, they actually state it as, as, as evidential fact, that has had an effect on this whole case. So that's it. Not a nice episode to have to record, but there we are. That's um, the end of that match-fixing inquiry. Let's hope there are no more. Of course, Mark King was suspended on a separate matter. He wasn't involved in this case. We haven't heard any more about that yet. Um, the, the message to players surely has got to be just do not get involved because if you get found out, it will be the end of your career, quite possibly. And you know, if you spent all your life playing snooker, there'll be people listening to this who play snooker at an amateur level or just a club level. They would love to have 10% of the talent of some of these people. They would love to have a go on the tour. We've just seen Q School. We've seen how much it means to the guys qualifying through Q School. The blood, sweat and tears to get through. I saw the interview with Louis Heathcote, trying to trying to hold it all together, having got through. Um, why would you risk all that? Why would you risk all that? You're in a privileged position. It is hard and yeah, there's not a lot of money at the bottom level, but you can earn big money. You can have a great life as a snooker professional if you work hard and you can handle the pressure. Why risk all of that for a few quid here and there throwing matches? That has surely got to be the takeaway from this. Um, so that's it. Hopefully next time we'll be talking about happier things.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino. dot com. That's chumbacasino. dot com. No purchase necessary. BTW Group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.